Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. And of course, we're always looking at interesting things that are outside just the world of Bitcoin itself. And today we're starting to look at a nation. You know, we've regularly been discussing the fact that developed nations with a D on the end are spending very large sums of money. We estimate about a hundred billion dollars in the last 18 months in VC money alone, developing solutions, developing currencies, developing, you know, metaverses and web 3.0 solutions. Um, yet it's the developing countries that are using them. And I think they're showing us where real need is ahead of some of these development programs. And today we're going to talk about South Africa. It's really interesting because we've seen that the South African adoption of uh, cryptocurrencies has been growing at an enormous rate between 21 to 20, sorry, 2020 to 2021. Um, it's one of the fastest growing crypto economies and it's been ranked number 16 out of the top 20 users of cryptocurrency in the world. This is done based on how much cryptocurrency they're transacting compared to the wealth of the average person. So South Africa has increased its usage by 1,200% in that 12-month period ending June 2021, and no doubt a lot since. So at that time, 7% of all internet connections, um, connections own cryptocurrency. 96% of all transactions um, of the crypto, so 96% of the transactions using cryptocurrency was the prime value. So not gaming and other aspects, but primarily getting used as currency itself. And when you realize that 32% of all South Africans are unbanked, you can see why the usage is so high. So it's a fascinating area to see it's developed. Now, enter Ian Putter. Now, Ian is a future-focused executive at Standard Bank, the largest financial institution in Africa, for those that don't know, um, where he heads up blockchain. He has more than 26 years experience and defines himself as a blockchain evangelist. Uh, welcome to the family, Ian. We're all blockchain evangelists here. Um, Thank you. And, and he's spent the last two years just focusing on this technology. And very much researched into the space and into the usage of South Africa. I'm really keen to hear what your thoughts are about this. Welcome along to Beyond Bitcoin, Ian. Thank you very much, Derek. Yeah, there's been a huge increase um, in cryptocurrency, but not only cryptocurrency, also other users of blockchain, and not only in South Africa, but across Africa. So a lot of innovations happening happening out of necessity where people want to change the environment. Um, if you look at infrastructure in Africa, there's a lot of opportunities in decentralized finance for yes. people to get access to 
to lower cost alternatives to the existing payment rails. And that's very important to create jobs. If you think about um, remittances, for instance, you mentioned the stats, and I've got stats as well, uh, where from June 2020 to July 2021, which is now, Africa received over $100 billion in crypto. So that's not only South Africa. There's also a lot of activity in Nigeria. There's activity in Ghana, Uganda, uh, Kenya and um, other countries as well. Six African countries are actually growing significantly in terms of crypto and crypto utilization. But I think the blockchain capabilities that's used is also growing rapidly if you look at venture capital investing into Africa. That also grew by 1,667% over the last year. Yeah. Wow. Now, may I introduce, of course, Nitin Gower, our friend and colleague that's with us also. Hey, Nitin, over to you. I know hey, you've got Derek. a whole list of questions here. I do, and Ian, such a pleasure to have you on, on, on this podcast. Uh, one, you were my customers, then we became friends and became cohorts in terms of understanding and, and unpacking the industry per se. And I think your perspective is quite unique here because I think South Africa is unique that all of Africa, and I have my stats too, because we all, we all research the stats, you know, that last year alone, there were all of Africa had about 2,600% uh, sort of increase in crypto transactions. And what I begin to look in my global lens is while South Africa is not one of the poorest country in the region, it is most unequal according to World Bank as you may have seen. And so when I look at the stuff that we saw in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, which is looking at Axie Infinity and augmenting income and figuring out as to how you enable folks to be able to truly go after the Web3 agenda. We see the contagion of incompetence in the West, which is again, what you have seen with 3AC and, and again, over levered entities who are again, you know, embarking on the opacity of information, which is not the intention of what we set out to do. What is South Africa's agenda in the sense that I think South Africa tops the list and it's not surprising that the intention with the cryptocurrency usage is for not just fighting inflation, uh, but also pushing people towards the usage to protect their savings, to protect what they've earned over time. Uh, you know, and, and so to me, I find it's interesting that while one region is looking into income augmentation, the other region is looking into capital markets type structures and South Africa is going back to saying, you know, this is again, uh, not just as a store of value, but mm. ability for me to be able to save and pass on the generational wealth, which is losing its value due to high inflation in the region. So I'd love to get your mm. perspective, tying all that together, if that makes sense. Yeah, so a lot of, there is a lot of speculation in the South African market where people invest for trading purposes, to your point, but people are also investing. I know lots of small families and small businesses that invested in crypto. If you look from 2017, to today, they've experienced significant growth, even regardless of the crypto winter. Um, crypto Bitcoin was about $17,000 a coin or $19,000 a coin end of 2018, right? And um, today at $25,000, I've met people that sees this as an opportunity to grow uh, their investments based on the volatility. So if you look at the cycles, there's people that are very, very close to it. And not only Bitcoin, Obviously, Bitcoin is quite a big part of that investment, but Ethereum, Ether, and the other Bitcoins as well, people are spending money on that as well to secure their investments, but also to try and make some trading money. 
And then if you move. Sorry, mate. Yet it seems as though a great deal of the use of the currencies, in fact, what the stats are saying is that 96% of the of the transactions are, are transactions for buying and selling. So in other words, true yeah. cryptocurrencies. Um, and and so does, do you mean that they're, they're buying and selling, but they're also having a side investment and they're keeping certain cryptocurrencies as, as, their, um, as their investment egg, so to speak, in which case they're yes. operating a wallet yeah. and they're running a bank. Yes, and people also want to, um, there's businesses in South Africa that provide uh, crypto bundles where people could invest. So, you know, from an investment perspective, invest in a basket or an index to get into that space for pension and other purposes. So I had a meeting this morning with some of the guys in the market where they're starting to pick up these trends. And I think the reason that is happening is over the last few years, people started to understand cryptocurrency as just um, building up a lot of knowledge. So it's a very, very active market. Mm. And a lot of people I presented at a crypto, a venture capital startup event in Cape Town two weeks ago, there were 200 crypto blockchain startups present. And there's people that oh actively God. selling. Yeah, yeah. And that's in Cape Town. So it's growing significantly. And then I went to Joburg last week and um, another 204. It's, a, it's like a, a blockchain, um, uh, what do you call it? Hackathon. And there were 200, more than 200 students that were very interested to solve crypto and blockchain problems. So there's really significant effort and energy going into blockchain solutions. And that's South Africa is the tip of the iceberg. As I said earlier, there's Nigeria and Kenya. It's really heating up. Um, Nitin compared to about before uh, COVID, crypto, uh, Nitin visited South Africa. And in that stage, people were trying to understand what stable coins are, what's tokenization, what's blockchain. Mm. I am overwhelmed when I look at the knowledge in South Africa. And um, I, I almost want to, sorry for talking so much, but mm. if you look at the Web3 community, if I can call it that, compared to the Web2 community, when I meet with 16-year-olds or 18-year-olds um, coming to me to talk about blockchain, I'm totally... I mean, I, it's unbelievable how much knowledge these younger generations have got about the use of crypto, using it in remittances. It's unbelievable. And I can see that's an upcoming wave across Africa. And it yeah. gives them their independence too, doesn't it? It gives them their ability to actually have a knowledge base that many others don't and start an economy, so to speak, utilizing that knowledge base that they can participate in. Um, I can see it's very empowering for them. Mm. Ian, sorry. Oh, no, yeah, so one thing, Ian, get your perspective on this, because I think South Africa, which is what I learned in all my travels to the region in terms of the impact South Africa has in terms of the neighboring countries and the region, not just South Africa as a country, but Southern part of the African continent and, and subcontinent where RAND, which is the local currency there is, is used as a clearing system for neighboring countries. And you, you see where I'm going with this, right? And we've had this conversation where we see a lot of stable coins, which provides liquidity to the crypto ecosystem, which is people's ability to convert their fiat into uh, crypto assets. And where South Africa puts in a unique position, in my opinion, exactly what US dollar has done uh, at a global scale, 
is neighboring countries being able to seek investment to RAND because RAND gives them some protection, even though it's not exactly uh, a stable sort of uh, you know, currency in general, but it still gives avenue for people to be able to move their investments and their savings from RAND into. So that creates an interesting challenge for the banking system per se, that suddenly now you're providing clearing and settlement for the neighboring countries who rely upon South African banking system. But what's interesting to me is that with the recent sort of uh, metric from LUNO, that 13% of population in South Africa, which I think which equates to about six to 8 million people have access to cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. You, as your visibility into not just the ecosystem that you described so eloquently, but also as a banker, uh, do you see any visible challenge changes in terms of people's attitudes and how they maintain the current accounts uh, in in keeping the RAN and eventually figuring out as to can I provide connectivity to exchanges? Can I be able to move money in and out? Have you seen any of those changes in terms of attitudes towards the crypto assets because of your unique position as as a clearing sort of bank for neighboring countries? Hmm. Yeah, so for us, um, we are regulated and we're not allowed to move crypto. Uh, across, you know, it's seen as a foreign asset, firstly. Yeah. So so that is controlled to a large extent. Obviously, people can move based on their allowances. Everybody's got a, a 1 million rand a year allowance to invest. Uh, so that's utilized by lots of people to, to move and to utilize the crypto. But remember, at the end of the day, all... Uh, the, the the countries across Africa has got their own, um, as I said earlier, a lot of people across Africa are, are housed, they've got their own crypto exchanges and they're connecting with Binance and, and all the crypto exchanges as well. So my personal experiences is that we're not that hard from a rent perspective. Activities are happening per, per legal, per, yeah. per regional uh, uh, jurisdiction actually. Oh, that's brilliant. I was wondering about the legal aspects of it. I mean, uh, Nick, you wanted to talk about this along the way too. And I was seeing that, that, um, you know, the financial institutions are allowed to hold cryptocurrency, according to your report. Then it says individuals are permitted to deal and hold cryptocurrencies. And then it says there's an implicit ban that some of the banks and financial institutions are prohibited (laughs) in holding cryptocurrencies. I don't understand. Are you allowed to hold cryptocurrencies or not allowed to hold cryptocurrencies? People are allowed to hold cryptocurrency. So the regulations allows that. The most important thing to understand is that you're not allowed, um, if you look at the bank, for instance, I'm not allowed to utilize crypto exchanges that's not registered in South Africa. So that's how the that's how the regulation works. So you can buy through a Luno, a Vala, and a Revix, but you're not allowed to buy crypto through the, the exchanges that's not don't have a crypto license, crypto asset service provider license, and that's not regulated. And uh, remember, Standard Bank provides on and off ramps for all the exchanges as well. So you can see the fiat that's going into the crypto world and coming out of the crypto world. So that's very important from a regulatory perspective, but the regulations are a lot leaner and the central bank announced that in the next 12 to 18 months, crypto will be traded on the exchanges. I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, regulations that's been released. And um, that is very important for the local market and across Africa. 
And I think um, what we're seeing in the bank is crypto is a given. It's happening. It's one of those, even if you look at the Gartner report, um, crypto and uh, digital wallets and stable coins are now at the forefront. We're working, we worked with the central bank on central bank digital currencies, PK2. So Nathan was aware there was Project Coco 1. There's now yeah. Project, Project Coco 2. And then in that experiment or POC, we also worked on tokenizing uh, SOB central bank debentures. And then um, we're continuing now, Nathan, with all the other banks on the JSE on an industry stable coin where we creating a POC to do that yeah. stable coin for the, for the region. So the world is moving from a regulatory perspective. I think the most important thing from a South African and the regulators in Africa that are pro crypto and stable coins is the understanding, you know, the engagement, doing POCs and understanding where to regulate, what to regulate. And given the global learnings, I think our regulators are also adapting and enabling us to participate in these markets. So let me, uh, yeah, yeah, let me double click on that a little bit. Right? I think South Africa, and again, over time, right? We've, we've seen this in terms of all, not just central banking sort of ecosystem, but I think your recent project that you've done with COCA was around creating a blockchain system for clearing and trading settlements with a handful of banks. And I think you call that the intergovernmental FinTech working group or IF, yes. IFWG per se. I think it's yeah. fascinating only because I think you're going after, but in many cases, is that a big, huge issue besides POC in South Africa? Uh, is clearing system for trading and settlement of securities a challenge from a settlement perspective because everything is so concentrated into South Africa? Uh, yeah. That's question number two. Question number three is South African wow. sort of Reserve Bank, right? Uh, which is SARB, uh, essentially introduced looking into looking into introducing regulation uh, from cryptocurrency classes and treating as financial assets. And what's interesting about this, if you want to draw parallels with the US, which, you know, is a quite complicated, you have different sort of, you know, SEC for securities, CFTC for commodities, you have Treasury, which looks into, you know, the entire element of money supply, and then you have FinCEN, which looks into the payment systems. Is SARB a one-stop shop for overall regulatory entities for all cryptocurrency classes? Um, and so I know it's a loaded question there, but love to get your perspective in terms of is SARB the ultimate authority for them to, because it's a reserve bank and their mandate, yeah. like most central banks, is inflation and employment. So uh, love to get your thoughts on that. Well, at this stage, I believe if anything of value, if anything's tokenized and it represents value, I think the SARB is the one-stop shop at this stage for regulating and controlling remember everything that's tokenized is an alternative to to fiat currency and um, it's my own perception i must just clarify it's my personal view and the soft sure. and standard bank this is in part view so if i look at the the tokenization the crypto asset service licenses the soft is actually regulating the exchanges going forward they're going to apply a different type of regulation um, compared to financial institutions, but I think that for the for now is going to be the approach. That's the entity that's actually regulating uh, the, the the crypto. And are we going to see um, sort of native cryptos getting 
traded and 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 uh, used as currency outside that area. So, you know, by example, we saw in the Philippines Axie Affinity creating the Smooth Love Potion, and and that that appeared very quickly, six months. Quite a sophisticated payment system occurred right through, and there are off ramps left, right, and centre. And the banks weren't necessarily involved in that. Um, you know, we see a world in South Africa where agriculture is a big area, and maybe, maybe there's a lot of co-ops in in South Africa. I'm not sure. And if there's co-ops, then they're trading between each other. Um, yes. Can this not be something that they can choose their own currency and trade between? Do they have to trade um, validated currencies um, from um, you know from from the central bank, um, or are you finding they're starting to trade their own choice and currencies? No, it's a loaded question. I think. I think there are ecosystems where people are utilizing crypto to settle between themselves, mm -hmm. you know, locally. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, as soon as it becomes cross-border settlements, I know that that is happening from a crypto perspective. Remittances, it's happening, but it's not in the controlled space where we can actually see what's happening, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. So, so, so if trans you, you need to distinguish between regulated and unregulated transactions, if I can make be so blunt. Hmm. So I think from a regulatory perspective, if you um, crypto is seen as an offshore, it's not seen as a, as, as a local asset. And the thing is, that is the important thing. It's like FX basically. And if you want to move things cross border, that's the way that it's seen. That's and I think that's the- It'd be very, very easy to use crypto to um, you know, transact across the road. Um, because, you know, if one farmer wants to transact with another farmer, then he can do it through a simple wallet and just transact whatever they consider to be something of meaningful value. Um, so exactly. it's, it's, it's not really a, just a cross-border product, but it's looked at that way in South Africa. Is that right, Ian? Yes. That is, on, that, that is the, that's the way that it's looked at. But I think over the next three years, things are going to evolve significantly. It's all about understanding and remember there's a lot of risks um, if you look from a regulatory perspective and also from a banking perspective um, people can if you pay someone a salary in crypto for instance which is happening it's happening at the moment that people are receiving crypto salaries but the thing is if the volatility um, is causing some it's not a backed asset and if there's lots of volatility it means if you get a salary of X bitcoins this month, it might not be worth exactly the same as the bitcoins the previous month. If you look what happened to the markets now. Yes, of course. So those are all definitely embedded risks in this. And if you want to accept it as a payment mechanism and a, st a store of value, your value might be, if you invested your pension three months ago in Bitcoin, your pension is going to be worth a lot less today, right? Yeah, that's right. So, but I wonder why they're not using then stable coins. You know, why not use no, no, stable coins? Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, we, um, we, if we focus on crypto, crypto come, comes with its own risks. That there is a focus definitely across Africa on stable coins at the moment. So, stable coins, my view is that it's definitely going to pick up significantly over the next year or two. And I think as the use cases start, and Nitin and I spoke about stable coins four years ago, the markets weren't ready for it. I think they didn't understand it at that stage. But now with all the crypto activities that's taken place over the last few months, the visibility, if you look at the UK everywhere, people start seeing the benefits of, 
of stable coins. If you look at USDC, what's that, what that's doing, scalability, costs, everything's been proven, right? And the security, if you've got collateral um, and it's quality assets, um, then people can see the benefit of utilizing. Um, it's almost a bridge between the old and the new world. You're taking the governance components, the best components of the traditional finance world, and you're utilizing some of the rails of the new world. And then that match creates a bridge. And I think as that becomes more embedded and properly regulated, and those rails are available, people will start recognizing the benefits of crypto more. Not that they're not recognizing it. Remember, I'm talking from two perspectives here. There's a regulatory and a commercial banking view, and then there's a market view. And you've got your crypto exchanges, your asset service providers, crypto. They've got a very specific view as well. But the bottom line and all these transactions is that regulation is always key if you want to move things cross-border and if you want to use it as a payment mechanism. That's a fact. And you can see globally that the regulations are narrowing that net and they're pulling these instruments in to make it more accessible and to enable, it, it sounds counterproductive um, in a way that you want to regulate these things. But I think what's essential in Africa specifically, like the rest of the world, is not to merely apply existing regulations to this new market, but to have regulations that applies to the specific market, if it makes sense. Yeah. So, so let me actually uh, probe on that a little bit, right? Because, um, and I, I just got the news feed that uh, now SEC has officially opened investigation with Coinbase because it's unregistered sort of entity, which is interesting because we've been debating this in terms of classification. And on on this call or in this podcast, you mentioned early on that as long as you're trading with registered entities, and you mentioned Baylor and and, and Luno as those two entities, then you're fine that you're not dealing with unregistered entities. Uh, which to me implies that the Baylor and Lunos of the world uh, and their registration in the South African market is quite mature in terms of the fact that they actually did register themselves as a crypto exchange and there are guardrails around it. And so while you may not have the market depth in terms of you still have the right regulatory framework in going after, which is SARB's agenda, investor protection and innovation, you're trying to say, let's not stop innovation, but let's ensure that. Uh, and this contagion that we see in, in North America and Singapore, like so Voyager Digital, you know, Digital, which is Canadian entity, uh, we begin to then see, you know, Maple Finance and you know the uh, the Celsius and and three ACF, yeah. of course, Singapore entities. There was a lot of that contagion that was meant between these large economies that were impacted by that contagion. Whereas I see now in talking to you in South Africa to say, hey, we have a registration entities, which means that you have to follow certain guidelines. That's an implication. And we are focusing on investor protection and innovation. And it's not just the fact that it's a mandate from SARB, they actually have gone down the building the guardrails. Do you see any contagion impact of this from what we are seeing in Singapore and Canada and United States from the recent fiasco that we have seen to South Africa? And is that attributable, do you think, to the, the guardrails that SARB has sort of crafted? Yeah, I don't see the impact there. I, there was definitely market impact based on the global activities, but I didn't see any of those filtering through into the local markets, if it makes sense. Obviously, your turnover would be lower given the global economic and crypto conditions, but that contagion definitely, from my perspective, I wasn't aware of any of that impacting the local awesome. markets. 
to you. Thanks for your time, uh, you know, Ian. Really a pleasure talking to yes. you and have a good day and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks. Good Thanks, Derek. Okay. See Bye you for now, Ian. Bye. Bye, Ian. Um, yeah, okay. So Ian had to go, had an appointment along the way, but this is a topic that's going to go for hours and hours, but we've only got a few more minutes. Um, and what we've seen there is there's multiple nations multiple development programs occurring. We know there's 860 development programs underway at the moment. And if you look at the total amount of money they're, they're developing, each one of them have got about 73,000 US dollars to develop. So little development programs trying to resolve issues for Africa and South Africa. Surely this is gonna be a really creative area, Nitin. I think so too. And I, what's interesting to me was like, you know, we see this impact of contagion. We've been talking about this whole over levered entities and, and having the circular motion where everybody's lending and borrowing from each other, which, you know, one domino falls and if, in fact, the, the entire domino. What's interesting to Ian's comment was that the, he has seen little or no contagion impact. And what I don't know is, is that because of the regulatory moats that the Reserve Bank has created that, you know, you can only move money in and out to these registered exchanges. And that, again, implication implies they have some element of investor protection. So they don't get the exposure to the, the these entities, which is from the private markets perspective. Or is it because the fact that South Africa is still emerging and, and evolving and it doesn't have the market depth to, to be then impacted, which is what Singapore and US had. And I think that would be a good way to at least look into this a little bit more deeper because whatever we're building, Derek, and I think we've discussed this on this podcast as well, these are global systems. Just like mm -hmm. our economies are intertwined and an impact in one economy, a large economy has ripple effect, whether it's in the US and India and China, has a ripple effect in other economies that are tied to it, whether it's tied because of economies or because of inflation and global macro at play. I think that crypto is no different, uh, which is native crypto itself is quite interconnected uh, global system. And I think it'll be interesting to go back and revisit this at some point to see why, if at all, it seems to me that, um, that, that South Africa is kind of a petri dish. In other words, it's a rapidly evolving R&D facility. I mean, at yeah. $73,000 a project, that means they're doing a lot of early stage development. And they're probably doing it at very low cost, obviously, um, to develop many, many solutions of which some will die like a petri dish process and others will survive yeah. like a petri dish process. I do wonder <laughs> that they're actually going to come up with some really clever ideas and also wonder whether they're going to run a parallel um, economy with them. Because I know we've just had a conversation around banking and around regulations, but, you know, South Africa and Africa, you know, they're entrepreneurial. They're going to work out yeah, ways that they want to be able to trade, whether the government wants them to trade that way or not. And, uh, and that is going to be fascinating to see. Um, and you can't really, and I guess unless you're running a Chinese yuan, um, it's very hard to stop any sort of trading in yeah. unregulated cryptocurrencies. Would that re be reasonable to say, Ian? Yeah, I think so, Derek, in the sense that even though you may have these exchanges, they may have some guidelines, everything else, but at the end of the day, your exposure to crypto, uh, allowing for you to be able to even buy Bitcoin and Ether gives you a broader access to even the asset classes that may not be traded on these exchanges that are regulated, because suddenly now I can take my crypto assets and move independently on these networks and make, again, DeFi investments on Ether alone. I don't need an exchange to tell me what to do, while exchange may give me an on-ramp, off-ramp to crypto and fiat as, as we've been discussing. But I think one metric which was to me fascinating, which you just mentioned, $73,000, which the cost of innovation in emerging or emerged 
economies like the United States and Europe. Uh, it means nothing. And $73,000 is an average project yeah. to me. So I'm also looking at that in terms of, you know, an average cost of innovation is much higher. Uh, and, you know, having been to South Africa many times, some of the investment isn't purely meaningful because of lack of resources. Uh, the money goes a longer way because there's a sense of sort of preserving, uh, you know, capital to be able to do things because it's not, they don't have as easy access to, let's say, what Silicon Valley did back in the day and how, what we do now with Crypto Valley. So it's interesting, I think, all around South Africa in general, and we should at some point revisit this again. I think it's a good idea. And after all, in one way, they're kind of like a rapid um, prototyping plant. Um, you know, they, they've, got a, they've got a total amount of VC money for that year of 60 million US bucks, right? Well, that's 5 billion rand. And, uh, and, and, and so therefore, you know, that's actually a big R&D project if you're talking about rand. Um, yeah, let's sure. keep an eye on them because I think that's really interesting. This is a, another nation with some smarts and some money and a real need, not just to use the currency, but to use the blockchain for validating transactions and validating ownerships and validating, you know, possession of, of different assets that we're going to see um, South Africa want to, to deal in and, and transact. It'll be fascinating to see where it goes. Um, yeah. I agree. Until next week, Nitin. <laughs> Take care, Derek. Good on you. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.